if you could turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 2, page 1704. So we're looking at verse 11. And we're going to look from there to the end. So Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Thank you, Naomi, for, for reading. Is she still with us? Great. Um, that chapter or that passage in Scripture has just grabbed my heart over the last few months. I've, you know, I don't know if it's ever happened to you. If you're new to your faith, um, I trust it will happen for you. But um, every now and then Scripture just grabs me and I just can't move off it. I just keep in my devotional life going back and reading it again. Um, my, I've got, we've got three teenagers at home. We've left them all at home on their own with no caretakers and caregivers. Um, the house is still standing. They sent us a photograph of the outside shell of the house. <laughs> we have no idea what's happening on the inside. Um, so we've got a 20, 18, and a 17-year-old all at home. Um, so please pray for us. Uh, we do get a bit nervous. Um, and so before leaving, Keegan, my older, says, Dad, whatever you do, don't tell jokes in the UK. They won't get your sense of humor. Um, so I've been working hard on my joke-telling in the UK. Um, and also then I go to a preaching lesson in the class and they say, don't tell jokes if you can't handle it, if you're not a, not a funny guy. Anyway, so that's the advice my teenager gives me before coming to the UK. <laughs> Let me just start by saying it's a massive privilege for us to be here and our church is praying for this morning. Um, really, just standing and worshipping with you, I just felt so humbled by being, um, without getting emotional, just being in the room with you, folk. I, I just feel God's hand on you. I feel the Father looking and seeing each one of you and what you're doing as a community, and it's precious. It, it really is precious, and um, yeah, we feel an amazing love for you. We don't know many of you too well, but there genuinely is a heart just for Andrew and C and their kids and Seth's third birthday today. How's that? Anyway, so I'm going to tell you a joke to see how it goes. So have any of you ever heard of Bear Grylls? 
You should all know. So Bear Grylls is this tough guy. So um, I want to talk today, sorry, before we go to the joke, around church as a community shaped by the, by the gospel, but also church as a community birthed by the gospel. I think what we're sitting, you sitting in the room, um, what you're part of, if you're part of the church or you, you're part of this community, there's something supernatural about this gathering. There's, if Christ did not reveal himself to you and open your eyes to the gospel, you and I would not be in this room together today. If you're not, if you're not part of the church and you're checking out where you walked off the street and you're saying, I heard some music, um, my prayer is that Christ would open your eyes this morning to this beautiful community that he invites us into. And what we read of in Ephesians is, is a, a celebration of Christ inviting us and joining us into a community. So Bear Grylls, let's get back there. So Bear Grylls goes on one of his adventures and he gets lost on an island on his own. Um, and somehow the, the coordinations and the, the people that are meant to pick him up don't know where he is and they forget which island they dropped him on. So four years goes by and Bear Grylls is on his own on this island and a, a cruise liner comes past and they see a puff of smoke on the horizon and they say, let's go investigate. It could be someone on an island. Thank you. Some of you are already smiling and we haven't even got to the joke yet. You are so kind, Grace Church. <laughs> anyway, so, so, so they, they send their, um, their, jet, their, um, um, their rescue craft um, with a few guys off to the island to go investigate. Maybe there's life on this island. So as they get closer to the island, they, they're charging up to the beach. And as they come, they see there's three shelters built on the island. And they're assuming there's more than one person. So they're, they're excited because they're going to help rescue people on a desolate island. And as they land there, um, we call it a rubber duck, but it's not what you call a rubber duck. It's a life craft. Um, I, I call this a, a rubber duck in England. And it already went, a rubber duck that you play with in the bath, <laughs> rescuing people. We call, rescue, we call rescue craft in South Africa rubber ducks for some reason. And they land on the beach, and they saw the three, and, and out stumbles Bear grows with a big beard and his volleyball in his arm. And, he, and he's so excited to see human beings again after four years stranded. So they're so inquisitive. Bear, where's the rest of your tribe? Where are the guys stranded with you? He goes, no, 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 I'm on my own, yeah? Okay, this is interesting. You've got three shelters built. Help us explain. Now, if you don't know the story about Bear Grylls is a devoted Christian. He loves Jesus. So they say, Bear, help us explain the three shelters you built for us, or you built. So he goes, well, the middle shelter on the island is where, that's my home. I sleep there, I cook there, uh, uh, that's where I, I rest and, and I make my fire. And that's why you saw the smoke. And they go, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And then Bear goes, so they say, Bear, in the right-hand side of your shelter, he takes him to the right, and there's a little shelter built, um, and there's some scribblings on a, on, a, on, a, on a piece of wood where you yeah, can see scripture verse. He says, this is my church. I come here and I pray, and I memorize scriptures that I used to, and I write them down so I don't forget the scripture, and I, I, meet, I meet with God in this church. And he said, so Bear, so help with the left-hand side of your shelter, there's another shelter. What is that? And Bear sheepishly looks at them, he goes, that's the church I used to belong to. Now, I don't know what it's like in England. <laughs> I don't know what it's like in England. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> that takes guts, Andrew, in a comedy theater to tell jokes. <laughs> I'm not here to be a comedian. I'm here to preach the gospel. The irony of that is there's so much truth in that little joke, isn't there? If you want to go into it. If I was left on my own and I was the only member of my church... After a while, I would find significant reason for me to leave that church and move to another church. Because honor under the gospel, somehow I'm going to realize there's something so bad and evil about this guy. If I spend one more Sunday worshiping with this guy next to me, I'm in trouble. I don't know about England, but in South Africa, um, 
we have many people that, that get disillusioned with local church, get hurt, get pained by it, and move on. Um, and I want to just speak about the gospel and how the gospel shapes us as a community. And I'm praying at this morning that, that some of it will sink in, a lot of it will sink in, and you would feel the gospel empower you towards community. Just two verses in, this, in the passage that we read in Ephesians I want to highlight, um, and before we, we go further, is verse 15, it says, By abolishing the law of commandments and ex- expressing ordinances, that he might, Jesus might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. There's this beautiful picture, Jesus bringing, the gospel bringing, strangers together, and you're a great example of that as a church. And so in South Africa we see a bit of that. This, he brings strangers that are opposed to each other, radically opposed to each other in culture and in, and in language and in religion, together under the gospel, and he makes one new person. Grace, you, you are one new community in London. Out of all the strangers, out of all the religions, all the philosophies in London, under the gospel, we get together and we, be, we get to become one. We get to become one family. Not just a, a group or a society. No, the scripture calls us a family. We get birthed into it. In verse 19, where it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household, the family of God. Some of you moved into London and, and knew no one. And you, you were desperate to find family or someone. And hopefully, when you get, walked into grace, you found family. You found brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. And you got to become brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers to others. But the gospel does it. It takes strangers. And so, um, one of the privileges that I have, the things that, one of the things that excites me personally so much is when I see, I often say to our church, some of you in this church, I would not know, greet, or like, or be nice to you if it wasn't for the gospel. The gospel is almost the only thing that's brought us into this room and it causes me to love you and care for you. Andrew and I would not be friends if it wasn't for the gospel and for or churches wanting to work together for the gospel. So, want the, uh, now we get to know each other. We go, oh, there's some common stuff and similar things that we enjoy about each other and we would be brought together. But that doesn't take supernatural power for us to be friends. We could enjoy whiskey together and say, oh, we like whiskey, and so let's hang together and have some whiskey together. Or we like a certain type of music together. And we go, oh, we'll get together around music. No, but the gospel works way beyond those normal similarities that bring us together. It's way deeper, way more powerful than that. In Kennison and Street, they make this comment about the church. We believe that the church is called to be a sign, a foretaste, and a herald of God's present, but still emerging kingdom. We believe that the church is meant to be a sign to London of what is coming. Heaven is coming. One day in heaven, nations will worship together. Every knee will bow. And when they look at the church and the community, there's something that should be, this is unnatural. This is supernatural. It should point them towards the gospel and towards heaven. We do this because of Christ and and who he is. We do it for him. We we build community. So I want to look at, at, um, in John 6, there's this beautiful story where Jesus feeds 5,000. You don't even have to be new to church or in church to know that there was a story about Jesus that one day no one had food and a little boy came with fish and bread and he multiplied and he fed 5,000. Many people know the story, even if you're new to church. But the, the, the story takes a, a turn at the end of the story where, where, the, where the next morning the crowd pitches up again and they're going, free food, free meals. I don't know if they do it in England, in South Africa, McDonald's and, um, and KFC and other, other big chains would every now and then say, free breakfast for the first 500 in the morning. Do you guys do that ever? Not, not going to happen, yeah? So, you don't give away anything. 
And in, in South Africa, they do that every now and then. It's amazing how, how many customers you almost didn't have at McDonald's that morning, and um, etc. Jesus is doing this, and he's realizing that many of the folk are just following him because there's free meals being handed out, or there's miracles happening wherever this guy goes. And then the um, message puts it like this in, in John 6. It says, look, no more free food. I am the bread of life, and if I'm enough, come follow me. And then it goes on to verse 66 in chapter 6. It says, from that point... On many who had been traveling with him no longer followed him. They turned away and went home. There's this culture that we, we enveloped in, in, in modern society called consumerism. This idea of what is in it for me? Why, why do I be part of this? And one of the, the greatest enemies for building community and gospel-shaped community is consumerism, is what is in it for me? I had a conversation with a friend of mine that's been part of church and church life for 20, 25 years. Um, and he was, we were having a conversation around this, and he said, Honor, I, I don't agree with you that, that we are consumer-driven in our Christian faith. So his, his name is Rich, and I said, So Rich, how often do you leave home on your way to, to church on a Sunday? Let's just take the Sunday service, and you think, what can I bring to church or contribute to our meeting together? And he gave me this weird, confused look saying, What do you mean? I'm coming there to enjoy worship, And as he's speaking, he goes, oh, oh, uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble here. I hope you've got a good word, Honor. I hope God speaks prophetically, Honor. I hope I've I've got my friends there that are going to warmly just connect. And he goes, oh, I I get it now. And so in our our society, I think one of the biggest dangers to communities built around the gospel is an idea of what is in it for me. Why should I join grace? What's in it for me? What am I going to, how am I going to benefit? What, is it going to be good for my kids, my family? Am I going to make the right connections? It's almost anti-gospel, that kind of attitude, isn't it? When we think of it. And then the other one that we struggle with, and I'm sure you struggle with too, is the thing or the attitude of, don't count on me, don't count me in. Um, we love anonymity, don't we? We can, I don't know about in, in England, but in South Africa, it's rife. Um, we can't get people to commit and say, we're in. It's, there's always a back door that kind of hinges open slowly, that just in case it's not that comfortable, I'm not quite that happy, I can slip out to the next spot. Like the Bear Grill story, I suppose. There's always another church down the road, or there's another community that might just give me what I need from them. And it's sad because even in Christian community and in the church, we see how cultures almost shape church in our community. I'm sure that if you speak to any pastor of any church in any, any city in the world, they would say to you, culture, the culture of our world has shaped church more than the gospel. And this morning, I want to encourage you to be shaped more by the gospel than by the city of London or England or the culture that we live in. And it looks radically different. And it's supernatural. It's not just natural. It takes supernatural courage to be shaped and to live culturally in a way that's countercultural. <laughs> Don't forget, church, we are meant to be countercultural. We are meant to be a light to London. We are meant to be beacons in cities where that shine. And we can't shine if we live with anonymity and consumerism or entrenched in our hearts. We, have to, we shine because the gospel has gripped us and we get to live differently. The city of London should look at grace and going, you are so radically different to us. And they should look at grace and go, how can we get some of that? There's a, um, one of the authors that I read speaks of the church being a gospel-revealing community. When the, when the church gets it right, we reveal the gospel to our cities. Isn't that beautiful? Hey, Grace, you reveal the gospel, not just by proclamation and by preaching on a Sunday, but what happens outside of the Sunday meeting. But how we love, how we serve, how we forgive, how we live within community. 
And I want to look at some trademarks of what that community looks like. The first trademark of a community shaped by the gospel is commitment. We go against the flow of culture and we, we say, no, we commit. We're not, we're not commitment phobic. We're not scared to say we're all in. Um, I told a story, I told a story of my boy, my, my teenage boy is going to turn 18. On a Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, he gets his first WhatsApp or his messenger, and it says, hey, we're going to the beach for a braai and, and a barbecue, but it's on real coals and with real meat. So just in case you're confused with the barbecue in South Africa. <laughs> and, and they're saying, we're going to the beach, we're going to surf, and then we're going to have a braai, a, barbe- a barbecue on steroids. And, and so it's at 9 in the morning, and so I'm, we're walking around, we're saying, so Josh, are, are you going to the barbecue at lunchtime? He goes... It's still nine, Dad. There's still three hours. I'm still checking how my day is going to plan out. So I said, Josh, what do you mean you're checking how your day is going to plan out? He goes, there's three hours, Dad. My other friends might be doing other stuff that might be more fun. <laughs> Literally, that's my straight, straight to it. And so we have this conversation about, Josh, why can't you just say yes to the first thing that you think is going to be fun and your first mates and the first guys that invited you? Some guys are having a little moment there. <laughs> uh, so let's oh I just feel Jesus is speaking to a young man with a with, with a with a blue baseball cap. Is that prophetic? Spot on. Jeez, buddy. How's that? Is he your friend? Whoa. We, we normally You clearly don't need this message. In South Africa, we would do that thing on our own quietly. <laughs> we would not do that in front of all our mates. So I don't even have to elaborate on that point. We are so scared that something better is going to come up. And if something's going to happen, we're going to miss out. This FOMO, this what happens if something better comes up? Can you imagine building a friendship or relationship with a dear friend that, that, that keeps it back to our open? You just, I don't know if he's going to be there for me. I don't know if a better husband or wife's popping around the corner. I don't know if a better friend's going to pop around, better life, better, better job, better. You with, you with me? The gospel community settles us and goes, no, this is the community that Christ has birthed me and, and born me and he's shaped me. Some of you will be here for a while. Some will be moving on. But while we're in, we, we shut the back door. We go, no, 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 I'm in. See, I can't go to war for the gospel and mission. I can't go to war for, for sin in your life. I can't go to war and fight for faith in your life. If the back door's open, even the mates that ripped each other off there, I'm sure that in their friendship there's a real commitment to one another that goes, hey, I'm your mate, even on the days where you're going to do stuff that really messes with me, but I'm going to come back tomorrow and we're going to sort this thing out. And, and I feel as a gospel community, we shut the back door. Jesus shut the back door to heaven when he came to earth. Remember? In the Garden of Gethsemane, what was he doing? He was saying, hey, Father, I don't like what's coming. <laughs> I can see how this is going to work out. Is there any way that you could t- pass the cup and, and take this from me? And the father said, no, this is... And he shut the back door. And he said, I'm, I'm not going back. I'm here to the, to the end. I want to be part of people like that in my life. I want to be part of a church that, that shuts that door and goes, we're in this thing. Let's go. Grace community, we're in this thing. We're going to shut that door and we're going to just commit to this thing. We're going to commit to loving. We stay longer. Some of you need to, when you're part of a community and God's called to serve a city, needs to decide my career comes second, but this is, this is key for me. When we were at the Advanced Global, I felt a strong sense of God's wanting to challenge some of the younger guys around careers and saying, your career is not, is not the making of you. 
You serving the gospel is the making of you. You giving yourself to what God's called you to in the gospel is far more important than your career, your wife, your family, and everything that you want. When are we going to put the gospel in the community that God's called us to serve the gospel with before our careers, before our moves, before our... You with me? We, we, we talk a talk. We, hey, we're in. But when it comes to this stuff, I feel sometimes we can be... We, we fight for that in East London, in South Africa. We have people that, as soon as the first job comes, they go. And I'm going, hey, that's great. Go and do, is, is that what God's called you to do? Your career, or has he called you to build community and serve the mission? And we can't serve the mission of God without committing to one another. If you're new and you're not part of the church, I want to encourage you, don't look for a church that's not committed to one another. Find a church where you can see brothers and sisters and mates committed to loving each other and caring for each other through the tough stuff. Watch them fight. Watch them reconcile. Watch them disagree. It's beautiful when that happens. But we stay longer. We don't just start another church next to our home shelter. We make promises to one another and we keep them. What's happened to that? Hey, honor, I'm coming. Oh, surprise, surprise. Doorbell goes, I'm here. It surprises us most, mostly when our friends commit, doesn't it? It does. We've had some friends like that where it's a surprise if they actually pitch up. And I'm not saying just friends in the church. Or out, it's friends in society. You, you're just not sure if they're going to pitch up. I hope that your friends that don't know Jesus know that you're going to pitch up for them. Not even the church. I mean, I'm taking for granted that within the church to one another, we commit and we say, hey, I promise I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'll, I'll back you. I'll be there. We live in a society where we're scared to make promises, aren't we? We are. We're scared to say, I'm in. I'm coming. You can count on me. Because as soon as I say, you can count on me, what am I taking away? I'm taking away my freedom to do my own thing. I'm taking away the liberty of honor is going to do what honor wants when he feels like it. Or I'm taking away the, the, the liberty of honor waking up and saying, oh, I'm not really, I really don't feel like going. How's the beach this morning? Let's go surf or let's go, let's go, let's go catch fish. fish. Fish is running. No, no, take that away. You see, when we commit, we take some liberties away. And it's everything against our human natures to be taken away from. We like giving, being given liberties. Hey, no, don't worry, don't, don't, no pressure. No, don't. Don't do that. Young ladies, um, I've got a, a teenage daughter. She's just got her first boyfriend. Um, and it's going reasonably well. Are you sure? I don't think we ever are, Beanie. <laughs> and um, I got this great um, photograph. I can't, I'm sorry I can't send it, but they were sitting down watching movies. And I sent um, Chloe. It's also Chloe. And I, I found this. Have you seen these old photographs of Jesus with long hair? And it, when he's in the crowd, he like shines like a halo over him. It's long bearded and, and, a, and a cloak. And then there's a photograph of two young people um, sitting on a couch together. And Jesus right in the middle. And it says, whatever you do together, always leave room for Jesus. And I took so much flack from my daughter because she thought I didn't trust her. Um, and I said to her, Chloe, until this boy's got a ring on your finger and you offset." I'm always going to be your dad watching over you. We have, the, we, we have the right to expect one another to make commitments towards one another and to keep them. Relationships, community thrives on commitment. If you want to see yourselves thrive, commit. Just be all in. If you want the best for grace and you say, I want to have the most amazing experience in this church, I'll, it will come through your commitment, through serving and just being part of this. You watch from the outside and just use and come in when you want. I promise you, your experience of this church will be very limited and very shallow. The second thing that we that we do, and another um, trademark of gospel-shaped um, communities is that they love sacrificially. 
And the two words that we often hear in church is hospitality and, and gratitude. Those beautiful words, aren't they? Hospitality and gratitude. But we live in a culture that's not very gratuitous. We don't know. We live in an entitled society where, where what, I, what I give you, I expect something back. I'm entitled to something. And it's coming to the church where we have an entitlement that if I'm part of this church, I can expect A, B, C, D to happen for my life or in my personal walk. But the gospel is not about entitlement. The gospel is about me showing gratitude. So this morning when we were worshiping, going, God, we are so, I loved your prayers. Can I just commend you as a church? Just your prayers. I was standing going, thank you, God, for these beautiful prayers. And what were we doing? We are saying, thank you. God, we're not entitled to you coming. We don't deserve your, your love and your sacrifice. We don't, we don't deserve your grace of our lives. No, we don't. We are so, so full of, filled with gratitude for what you have done. And because it's towards Christ and what Jesus has done, it has to flow out of our lives towards one another. Don't take one another for granted. Don't take your leadership for granted. Don't take your friends for granted, even the ones that embarrass you in public. <laughs> and then hospitality. I often we, we have some friends that are incredibly good at entertaining. And very often people will say, wow, they are so hospitable. And something in me wants to stop and say, hang on, can we just rain check on whether it's entertainment or hospitality? And the New Testament, the words that they use for hospitality is making room and opening your home to strangers and serving freely strangers into your home. When the church doesn't do hospitality but does entertainment, all we do is open our home and our home to people like us that we enjoy and like and we benefit from. See, it's easy for me to invite friends that I like, that I enjoy, and I, I gain something from, either friendship or relationship, or sometimes there's even deeper and bigger, bigger things that I gain from that. But hospitality says, I'm going to open my life and my home to you, and I'm not sure I'm going to gain anything other than give to and serve you. And there's a great gap for us in, in London, for you as a church, to, I want to encourage you, don't entertain London. Don't try and entertain your friends. Don't try and entertain London. Be hospitable towards London. Open your lives and your homes open. Open them to people that are not like you. Open your homes and your lives to people that might cost you something that's going to drain you maybe in your friendship. Maybe your friendships are tough and you're going, God, this is tough. I, I, can, I, can I rather hang with people that are like me? That are... No, no, no. I want to encourage you. Don't do that. Christ could have done that and stayed in heaven with a perfect relationship with Father and Holy Spirit. And this is cozy and warm. But he showed hospitality by walking and opening, God opening heaven and saying, Jesus, step into their muck and their mess. Befriend them. Go and suffer for them. Um, John Piper um, is a retired minister that said, nothing shows off the glory of Christ more than when we show sacrificial love to one another. London's watching whether you love one another when it hurts and when it pains you. London needs to see a church that's prepared to sacrifice, not just when it's easy, but when it really, really pains us. What a privilege to be like Christ as a church. Lastly, the third and last trademark of a church shaped by the gospel. And I'm going to remind you again that don't assume that every community that says it's a church is shaped by the gospel. We have to resist. This is war. Um, I love um, Acts 1 verse 8. Um, I'll read it for you. I should be able to just quote it, hey? So Acts 1 verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the world. So this, 
Jesus is very clear in saying, unless the Holy Spirit comes upon you and something supernatural happens in your life, you will not be witnesses to the cities or to London. We need God's Spirit to help us be witnesses to London. Without God's Spirit, we are unable to do that. But what if, and I'm just posing this as a question for many of you that might never have considered this, what if the power of the Holy Spirit is as effective, if not more effective and more powerful, when we are, when we are struggling to commit to one another? And I need God's Spirit to commit to you, and I don't want to commit to you. What happens if God's Spirit is at work in me to shape me and towards sacrificing when I don't feel like sacrifice? Or is the Holy Spirit only interested in the supernatural miracles, the feeding of the 5,000? Or is he involved in shaping me from the inside to live and be more like Christ? I would strongly argue, and I come from a charismatic background, I've seen people struggle more and need God's Spirit more in being able to commit and love and sacrifice and forgive one another than I have for God's Spirit to heal a leg or an arm. This has been the battle for me as a pastor. Seeing people saying, can you live sacrificially? Because everything in our human nature will not live sacrificially. We are sinful. We are selfish. We live for ourselves. If it's not God's Spirit, I will not be a nice guy. I will live for whatever honor needs. I will use everything in life to serve honor's needs. But... God's Spirit comes and he, His power comes into me and I start living differently. It's God's grace and His Spirit that enables us to live like that. And I'm, I'm fearful, and I've, we've been involved in ministry for over 20 years, and I'm fearful that because this looks glamorous and the, the signs and the wonders and the miracles look exciting, that we don't see the excitement of community and biblical community. We don't see that as exciting anymore. We become almost entitled. No, that's, we just... It's, it has to happen. It should happen. That's what you live. No, 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 it doesn't. Push me for commitment when I don't feel like it, but I know it's God's calling me, and, I, and I'm weak. I need God's Spirit to help me commit. Jesus crying out to the Spirit, crying out to the Father. Father, for, I, I need your help to see it through to the cross. I can't do this on my own. See, we can't live like a gospel or a community shaped by the God, without God's Spirit. We are desperate for His Spirit to do a work in us. And then lastly, um, I can't think of the lady's name, but she's a social professor in America that did a study on the ingredients of great societies or communities. And the one thing that she highlighted was, we've, as a modern society, that we have failed or we are failing to live truthfully with one another. We're too scared to have truthful conversations. We are too scared that we have to repent and say sorry or that there's something for us to forgive and we're on the other end of the, of the conversation. And she said, unless society and biblical communities start living truthfully and speaking truthfully, we will have a very shallow picture of what the gospel community should look like. We need to be brave in our conversation. So how can I be brave? <laughs> These two guys, that was very brave in front of all your mates, by the way. I didn't say foolish, I just said brave. <laughs> Everyone who loves, if you're part of the church and you love the church, there's a, very, there's a 100% chance that you're going to be pained and hurt by the church. Not in 99, or not, you will be hurt by the church. You will be pained by the local church if you love the church deeply enough. The church is messy. I'm messy. Claire's messy. Andrew's messy. I'm gonna, I've only seen Andrew, I think, on his best days. I haven't seen him on his worst days. And his mom's going, hmm. <laughs> I, I haven't seen him there. We've only been mates when we all, we all cuddly and we warm and we encourage our mission. Our friendship is going to be tested when, when Andrew does or says something that really insults or hurts me. 
I need to go, do I shut up or do I go and speak to the guy? This, for you as a community, I want to encourage you to have brave, honest conversations with one another. See, the gospel, the, the beauty of the gospel, it allows me, let's say, I've messed up. I can put my hand up and say, I've messed up, I've confessed. It allows me the freedom and the privilege to say to you, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. Why? Because it's the gospel. I'm not shaped by honor and what's good for honor. I'm shaped by Christ and what Christ has done in me. I'm not led anymore by honor. I'm led by God's spirit in how I respond to offenses and hurts that I've created. So when you've hurt and offended, it's, it's not just your duty. It's in your nature because you're a new being. And what we said in, in Ephesians 2, he's now made you a new man and us a new people. And this new tribe confesses, repents, and forgives one another. How beautiful is that? This new tribe lives like that. We don't ignore the tough conversations. We don't skirt around them. No, no, no. The gospel is strong and powerful enough for me. And Andrew said, and I won't say, Andrew, I'm struggling with this in our friendship. Andrew, you've offended. You've really caused hurt when you said that or in the way that you behaved. And what's Andrew's response to me when I, sh- when I show that? Hey, honor, that's your problem. Go deal with it, you and Jesus. <laughs> no, no, no. We need to fight this thing out. We need to- the gospel gives us this... Um, uh, a playing field and it's got certain rules and parameters that when we play to the rules we're okay in it imagine football with no rules and no outline and we get to play it's messy isn't it no goals get scored no one knows what's, who's winning no no the gospel allows me to win it allows me to win in our friendship it, it allows us to overcome those things that are difficult in community it allows me to go hey wow this thing's not going to destroy us no it's going to bring us closer together we, we, Claire and I um, do a lot of marriage um, and relational counseling. And when a couple walks in and brags and tells us, we never fight, we go, ah. Then we go, so, so what do you do? When you, where do you take your disagreements to then? Because we're both sinners. We're going to offend each other. It's just whether we're honest about it or whether we're not. The relationships we're most concerned with in marriage that we speak to are the relationships where marriages. Keep quiet and never confront. The big elephant in the room, <laughs> we just ignore it. Eventually, the room becomes very, very tight and claustrophobic, and church becomes like when we never have honest conversations. So I want to encourage you, have honest conversations. Confess, repent, forgive. The three-step dance. There's a young girl coming to spend a year with us, and her parents have asked us to please learn or teach her how to dance, because she refuses to dance, and she's 18 or 19. But the gospel, but the gospel teaches us this easy three-step dance: confess, repent, forgive. And even when I don't feel like it, when I do it in obeying Christ, He follows through on it and He, he helps me. And the Holy Spirit helps me humble myself to to confess and repent. The Holy Spirit strengthens me, and, and the gospel spirit in me says, "I will, I can, honor you. Can forgive this brother." I find it personally far more difficult to receive forgiveness than to give it. I don't know about you. I find it quite easy to say, hey, it's okay. But when I'm on the other, when I've offended and hurt and I'm going, I'm, I'm needing you to forgive. Hey, I don't know why, but it's, it's a difficult battle. I'd love someone to explain that to me one day. Maybe it's just my self-righteousness. Maybe it's just that I'm still so full of it. But we've been through as a family over the last year or two, um, something happened to us and in our family where we needed someone to forgive our family and, for, and us. And, and I can't tell you how difficult it's been just being on the recipient, saying, I need 
forgiveness from another fellow Christian for what happened. It's tough when you imagine being that. And I'm sure we've all been in that situation where we've really, really messed up. And we go, oh, we just need to receive some forgiveness. Not just from Jesus. We get that from God. But we also get to do it through. The, we are the body of Christ. The body gets to practice the gospel. It's not a theory. I think it's C.S. Lewis that said, um, forgiveness is a beautiful theory. In theory, forgiveness is beautiful. We, all, we will all charge and go, yay, we want it. Until we have something to forgive. It becomes, when it moves from theory to practical in our lives, I think that's when we need God's spirit in us to say, hey, the gospel, the gospel reminds us of the gospel, reminds us of, I was the greatest sinner, I need to forgive. Great, I've, I've received greatly, I need to give everything that I've received. Can I pray for us? Would you like to pray, Andrew? Or? Cool. Just a reminder again, just as we bow our heads. We're not shaped by, by a society. We, we are, the gospel and scripture encourage us to be shaped by Jesus and by the Spirit. We are a people of the Spirit. We are, are a people of the gospel. We are empowered by the gospel. It's the Spirit that empowers us to live like this. This is not a to-do list. This is a who-we-are list. It should come out of our lives. But we can't live like this if we don't have it. So I just want to start by praying... If, if you're not part of this community, if you're not part of, if you don't follow Christ and you, you hear this morning, you say, I would like to be part of that community. I would just love to pray for you. So Lord, I pray for my friends. If there are any here this morning that are in their hearts saying, I, I would love to be part of that and I, I, I need brothers and sisters. I pray that you would speak to them clearly now. Pray for courage to, to step forward and step up and say, Christ, I invite you. I want to bow my knee before you, Christ, Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, thank you that, that you came from heaven to earth. Thank you that you left the coziness and warmth and security of heaven for my sake. Thank you that you died and you died for my sins, not yours. Thank you that you offer me life and that you offer me a way into a community of life, a community of love and forgiveness and a community of security and life. Here on earth, Father God, I want to invite you to just pray and invite Christ and invite him and just bow your knee before him this morning. And if you are a Christ follower, I want to, I want to encourage you to just rely more on God's spirit. Rely more, call more on him. Grace, pray that you'd be shaped by the gospel as a community going forward. That you'd commit, as you've committed to Christ, we commit to one another. The rubber hits the road with the gospel. It's not just a theory. We get to practice the gospel. We get to play the game. We get to enjoy the commitment of the gospel, the, 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 the loving sacrifice towards... We get to sacrifice lovingly towards one another. We don't take for granted one another's sacrifices towards ourselves. We get to experience what it's like to when someone forgives us when we've offended, and we get to experience what it's like to forgive someone that's offended. Wow, how beautiful is that? Holy Spirit, would you help us? We are desperate for you. We want to be a witness to London. We want to be a picture to London of what heaven one day will look like. We want a picture to London of what the gospel, what people, not just individuals, but a community looks like that is shaped and molded and birthed by you and by your spirit. Thank you for the miracles. We thank you for the supernatural things you do, Holy Spirit, in our midst. But this morning we're going to pause and ask, would you do a deep work in our lives?
Would you empower us for community? Would you empower us to, to live out a picture of what, what it looks like when, when a, a people gathered and shaped and birthed by you live together and love one another? In Jesus' name, amen.